Daredevil gets a showrunner and new directors. The Loki Instagram account gets taken over by Miss Minutes. Henry Cavill to star in a Highland reboot. And FNAF has a scary good box office. All that and more this week on Multiverse News. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for all the information about your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll, and I'm Knuff. Today on the panel with me, we have Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. What's going on, Jay? Not too much. I'm feeling really good because here in a matter of hours, Halloween, my least favorite holiday, will be over, and I'll have to <laughs> I'll have an entire year that I will not have to experience it. So just feeling feeling great today. <laughs> <laughs> a 364-day reprieve. I like it. And uh, Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. What's up, Haley? Living the dream. Well, good. Good to hear it. And uh, Jay, Scotty, St. Clair, or should I say Green Lantern? In brightest day and blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those <laughs> who worship evils might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. <laughs> That was good. Just had it locked and loaded. It's going to be method acting from here on out, so buckle in, people. (laughs) Just imagine the stories, and they become (laughs) green images on the screen. All right. Well, we got got lots of news to get to today, so let's get to it. In a decisive move, Marvel Studios has already put together a new creative team for Daredevil Born Again. Dario Scardapane of Netflix's The Punisher and Amazon's Jack Ryan is officially the showrunner, while Moon Knight and Loki Season 2's co-directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are stepping up to take charge of the remaining episodes of Daredevil. The show will be an amalgamation of previously shot scenes and episodes, as well as new content written by Scardapane. Previous directors Chris Ord and Matt Corman will stay on as executive producers. While in the past we were told the show would be 19 episodes, that now seems unclear, according to The Hollywood Reporter. In a perfect world, are we going to get what we are looking for from The Man Without Fear? I don't know, and if I shot my shot about 19 episodes being too much way back on the MCU cast, then I give myself a pat on the back for that. The really interesting thing about this article is that they're not scrapping everything they did, which would have been super wasteful and extremely expensive, for one thing, but it kind of shows, I hope, that maybe the show had some good bones and that they're just, like, punching it up and making it a little better um, to finish up strong because they're talking about how this is all coming in for the end of the show, the last few episodes. It's kind of interesting, too, that they kept on those old directors as executive producers. So maybe they didn't want them. They obviously didn't want to, like, cut the tie hardcore with these people. They just must have not really liked the way things were going 100%. So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting it doesn't give me a lot of confidence, <laughs> um, but because the collaborators they've brought on have done such an amazing job with some MCU stuff and Marvel Studios stuff, hopefully it's a, a strong outing for Matt Murdock. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of makes me a little nervous, to be honest, um, just because you typically don't see projects like this do well from a creative standpoint, where they've been headed by one group of people, and then all of a sudden they turn the keys over halfway through to someone else who's kind of like already in the the group, right? So these are Marvel Studios guys that they're turning it over to. And mm-hmm. that makes sense. You want to get somebody in-house, but at the same time, you've brought in these other people for this different creative vision. And then now you're just kind of bringing in your own people and saying, that didn't work. And we want you to essentially salvage it and bring something else, else out. A lot of times those projects just don't end up feeling cohesive by the time they get to the end. So it will be interesting to see how much blending goes on here. Uh, I kind of when it's a show like this and it's supposed to be darker and you're coming off the Netflix show, like I kind of want to see them shoot for something a little bit more extreme. I kind of want to see them get somebody from a much darker show in there, or like somebody from outside brought in to, to do something like this. I feel like there's a lot of potential for a creative vision there. That's just different. I think people want something different from daredevil than the typical Marvel formula. And so I am a little uh, nervous about this uh, as far as the executive producer thing. Yeah. Like you said, Haley, it, it's kind of a not wanting to cut ties thing. They, they do this a lot in Hollywood. If, if somebody's on a project, it, you don't want to necessarily fire them because it doesn't really look good. It's not good for their resume. So like a good example, like uh, when Scott Derrickson was working on the sequel to Dr. Strange uh, and decided to back out because he felt like his creative vision was not matching with Kevin Feige's creative vision. He was still kept on as an executive producer. He had essentially nothing to do with the film, but it just looks bad to go in and be like, all right, you're cut, your name's getting cut off the slides and we're going to stick another name on there. So typically they'll kind of do that. So I would imagine, imagine this does not mean these the even though these scenes were shot by this creative team um, you'll probably see very little of that vision but those names will always be attached even if they use nothing they'll still attach those names just to basically like save face i i'm nothing but excited about these particular creatives getting involved um particularly i think the uh the the punisher and moon knight i mean and loki's my favorite thing marvel's done so i can't be upset about that but i think that uh Moon Knight, the Moon Knight tone and the Punisher tone are perfect. And like for what we want from a Matt Murdock show, maybe even a little too dark. Like you're talking about this being a darker take. Like those two shows are, are, are much darker even than Daredevil, I think. Well, the Punisher is. The, the, my whole concern is the fact that they're combining the footage. Like you said, Jay, that's, that often doesn't go well. And, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm very worried they're choosing, to try to salvage something they should just be scrapping because that's what we heard from the beginning is that they were scrapping it and starting over. That's what we reported a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I kind of wish they were doing that as opposed to this. Now, maybe it's just a matter of like, they've shot some cool action sequences and they just need to like fit the things around it that work. But yeah, I'm just worried. They're just like, they're being budget conscious instead of being, uh, true to the property. So We'll see. Yeah, I think you all pretty much hit the nail on the head here. And I had a similar reaction, like kind of hearing that they were going to Frankenstein it. Uh, I didn't really like that. But I really appreciate the point that Haley brings up in terms of like salvaging whatever budget they can. I think that makes a lot of sense. And apparently there were aspects of this that worked and that they liked. So to hear that they're going to, you know, keep some of that, I guess, is is somewhat promising that this isn't a a full hard reset like we thought and the narrative seemed to be, but I guess more of a course correction. But Matt, you said you were more excited for Scar to Pain. 
But I'm kind of the opposite. My excitement is more towards the inclusion of Austin Moorhead and Justin Benson because coming off of Moon Knight, they've been heavily evolved in, in Loki season two. And their episodes of Moon Knight were some of the strongest, in my opinion. And looking at some of the like indie films that they've done, like The Endless comes to mind, like they are emerging as this like really strong voice for Marvel television, which I think Marvel television really needs right now. So to kind of have those creators emerge like that, I think uh, shows that you know, things are kind of trending in the right direction here. I'm really enjoying Loki season two. So, you know, all this being said, I, I'm still really excited for Daredevil and I'm excited to see uh, what they bring to the table. And uh, I'll be kind of watching with, you know, a magnifying glass to see if I can identify what is from previous shoots as opposed to like new mm-hmm. material. But if, uh, you know, fingers crossed, it's all seamless and I can't right. pick anything out. It must have been so bad. Like, it must have been so bad for them to do this and to scrap right. it this far. Like, it, they must have just watched it and been like, absolutely not. This cannot make it to the public. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it must have been a train wreck. And that's what's so terrifying. We said that weeks ago. If they're, if they're talking about making such a big change midstream, it's got to be a disaster. But then to say, but we want to keep some of the disaster. It just feels, <laughs> like, not great. And, like, what you're talking about, Jay Scotty, with, like needing to see wanting to see the lines where they stitched it just that fact makes it a worse experience because you're sure. you're looking at it uh, from a layer outside of just enjoying the content and like being living with the characters you're already putting a layer of artifice between you and like the story and like that sucks that's why i like ant-man will always feel like what parts of this were edgar Wright's? you know like what parts of this could have been like what would he have done with this scene like what music would he put over here you know like i'm always questioning that every time i watch that movie um interesting yeah and it it it, it, yeah it's it's tough it's tough to know the behind the scenes stuff sometimes I do want to Haley kind of mentioned the the 19 episode count being reduced and i i agree i do think that's the right call i if Thinking about, you know, The Punisher and and Daredevil on Netflix, like, I I really like those series. I haven't revisited The Punisher since I watched it initially, and I didn't check out season two. But um, if anything, I think those seasons could have benefited from being, like, around 10 episodes as opposed to 13. So hopefully Mm. they're they're thinking about all of that. Yeah, for sure. In a guerrilla marketing move, the official Loki Instagram account became a blank slate following this week's fourth episode of the second season. The menacing Miss Minutes has taken over the account in the meantime with only one post, a short video of her telling us how it is on an inactive Tim pad and that means access is denied. There's also a mid-season trailer out, and spoilers abound. Is this a bold move by the popular show, or just genius marketing? Yeah, Loki's in a really fascinating place to me right now, because we're just not really sure how it's doing. We know that Disney released the streaming numbers after the first week, and that it looked like it had a really, really solid start. Uh, It came out the gate as the second most watched season premiere of any Disney Plus show behind The Mandalorian Season 3. So we know it started really well, but it does seem like just looking at trending topics on social media that it hasn't really kept up that level of hype across the weeks. Uh, So it it is on Thursday. I do wonder if Marvel will back off of that. I don't know if Thursday was really the right day if you're wanting to buzz uh, a lot of like, um, you know, energy around your project. Um, If you go on to 
some of these, like especially like Twitter, uh, and uh, look live during the premiere of Loki around nine thirty or so. Um, it's typically like it's a lot of NFL because Thursday night football's going on. It's a lot like uh, it's had to um, go up against Gen V. Uh, Invincible starts here pretty soon on Thursdays, so it does seem like it's maybe getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, now we won't know for sure because the Nielsen ratings are a month behind, so we're not going to really know for sure here until a couple more weeks go by and then we see those nielsen ratings we can really see where loki ends up and if it ends up being high high up then we know hey this did really well it was consistent people watched it all the weeks if it's not really appearing or it's not in the top 10 like that's not good Uh, that's a red flag that means that a lot of people watched it at the beginning and then they fell off and they didn't keep up with it and so i think like um, i'm going to be really interested to see eventually what that looks like like how did this show we all like it i mean i've certainly liked it i think the content is really good i think it's one of the best things that marvel has done in a long time so i don't think that's the problem i don't think the quality is the problem it's just our people getting into it? Are people buying into it uh, past just your hardcore fans? Is it bringing people back to Marvel who've maybe left? Is it bringing in new viewers? Like that's what you really want out of this. Um, I think it has the power to do it, but is it just, is it doing it right? And so I think like there's a bigger conversation there to be had uh, about even, even if Marvel, cause that's the danger zone for Marvel is like, they're still putting out really good stuff and it's not bringing people in. Like that's, that's yeah. what you don't want to see. Uh, I mean, we all get it if their stuff isn't solid and people aren't watching, but if they're putting out really good stuff and it's not happening, that's, that's the danger zone. So I think uh, there's still, <laughs> there's still you a lot. It, you said to, it twice. Uh, <laughs> I let it go once. I couldn't let it go twice. <laughs> I'm going to take you right into danger the danger zone. zone. Yeah. <laughs> I just got, you know, Kenny Loggins on the brain, I guess tonight. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so so anyway long story short you know it's a uh, it's it's in a weird place i think like i think from a marketing standpoint i i don't know if it's necessarily like i think people who watch it are walking away super excited every week but i don't know on like a grand scale if it's really doing what fans think it's doing i don't i don't think it's hitting the kind of numbers that people think it might be so i think it'll be interesting to see when it's all said and done it's wrapped up what that looks like it's also the first second season we've had in the MCU True. of a thing. And if you didn't see season one, you will be like totally out of the loop. No pun intended. Um, because <laughs> y- y- it's just way too connected to that first season of Loki. So I think that, and I do think the Thursday sucks. I would rather it be on a Wednesday. Um, I think you're not wrong when <laughs> when you are talking about those things. But I did love the hardcore instagram move from miss minutes she corrupted the instagram account yeah Yeah, that is that is fun i I do like that Mm -hmm. i i i hear what you guys are saying about the thursday release and all this stuff i i think i think it's a little bit of a trade-off because they also moved to prime time they've got to pick a prime time day that fits and doesn't conflict with things and that's going to be hard to do uh but i will say like even if this show doesn't hit the no- initial numbers that you know people think uh, are are impressive or whatever. I-, I hope that Marvel won't be too short-sighted in making decisions based on that because I think the show is so good that it will find its audience if it's just l- allowed to. You know what I mean? Like maybe people aren't watching it on Thursday nights. Maybe people aren't watching the premiere. Maybe people haven't seen season one and haven't joined for this season or whatever. But like. 
And a lot of people might have fallen off because of Secret Invasion and just been like, well, screw Marvel. I'm not going to watch this next thing. But then once that word of mouth goes out and people start talking about how good it is, even if it's a smaller contingent, the quality is good. I think it will find its audience and I think it will bring people back in, even if it's not on that initial week. And like, yeah, I've, I've heard hearing people talk about like YouTube views that like, and I mean, even, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we've seen the numbers like on our podcast, like that had, had dipped after secret invasion. Like they were really low and like not doing as well as normal. And then things start ticking back up the first week. It wasn't as good, but over the subsequent weeks, it's been getting better. So I think people are finding the show. I think it's sort of like finding its audience still. Yeah, I don't have too much more to add because I haven't watched this trailer or TV spot for the last two episodes of Loki because I don't need to see anything. I'm Mm-mm. really excited for this, the final couple of episodes here and don't want to be spoiled. But I can't help but think, um, you know, before the, the show premiered, I remember seeing like the early reviews from reviewers that got to see the first four episodes. And we're caught up with those those reviewers at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And I think narratively, like without spoiling anything, I, I think I can safely say like narratively, we're all in a very different place than we thought we would be at this point in the show. And, and that's exciting to me. But I remember one of the chief like criticisms, there weren't many, but if I had to like single out one criticism for the show, it was like they were saying, instead of Loki, it feels like it's more of like the TVA show. And like, I'm not seeing a problem at this point in time. Like Miss Minutes is an absolute breakout character. I'm really loving her in the season. And this viral marketing is something that I love. Like, uh, you know, I think people were immediately making the comparisons between Miss Minute and Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park. But I -hmm. love the fact that this, uh, this viral marketing takes it the next step further. And with this this latest episode, we had the soundbite where she goes like, ah, 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 access denied. And of course, like, you know, anybody that knows Jurassic Park, Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry, that was his little like, you know, cue when he (laughs) locked everybody out of the security system. Like, ah, 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 that's not the magic word. So uh, I love Mm -hmm. the synergy there. I love the viral marketing. Uh, I do think it's interesting, um, everything that's being brought up about how well the show's performing, but I, I think more so than some of the recent series we've seen, I do feel like the, the conversation is there in terms of like the water cooler talk. Maybe it's not as strong as WandaVision or Loki season one, but it seems like it's the strongest it's been in a while, which makes me feel like we're in a good place. Well, and even if the numbers are down viewership wise, it's restoring confidence in Marvel yes, that exactly. was severely lacking. And that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Like Secret Invasion damaged some of the view of Marvel from like the core audience. Like people that love this stuff were really pissed. Um, and so to get a show that is restoring it to the level that it is, um, we we had to stop talking about Secret Invasion because it was just being such a downer over on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, mm. and like, like we were just like, let's just not let's avoid it. Um, it, like it's not that we we will talk about it when it comes up, but we're not we're just not trying to talk about it because it was just making us. We would always like start talking about how bad it was, and it just yeah. sucked. You know, that's just not a fun thing to podcast like. Um, and now we're watching Loki and. Yesterday, today we released an episode that's two hour, two and a half hours long because we just like right. couldn't stop talking about it. I loved this. I loved this episode so much. I just kept wanting to go, 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 go. Yeah, this this show is really important too because I mean you're in the multiverse saga. I mean the show's mm-hmm. instrumental to that, to setting that up and bringing those through lines together. And uh, we've said it 
before on this podcast that Loki does have a lot of heavy lifting to do. It, it's interconnected to this multiverse saga and it is driving it forward. It's driving forward the Kang the Conqueror stuff, the multi-timeline stuff, like all of that is a core essence of Loki. And it's getting to the point where you really need to understand it to get into the multiverse saga as a whole. So there's something very important there that's happening that that show needs to accomplish. Like it needs to convince you that this multiverse stuff is important and that you're willing to buy in for more movies. Because to me, like that, that's what's missing right now that I really need to see. And it it may happen in this show. It may happen somewhere else in a movie. But to me, like there's a, I won't spoil anything, but there's a line in this last episode where they say that about these timelines, they're like, well, to you, these timelines are just a line on a screen. It's just a line on a screen. You know, to me, that's the, that's the whole problem with the multiverse saga to this point is that to us, they are just lines on a screen. Like we don't, we haven't spent any time in these branched timelines really. You know, we haven't really spent time with a lot of characters from these branched timelines. Like pruning them i mean you can say like yeah trillions of people just died but like unless i've seen that timeline like as a viewer i'm not there you know so like spider-man no way home did a great job of making us care about characters from another place right and caring what happened to them Mm. but i haven't seen that yet on a grand scale so i need i either need like loki to do that or i need like another show to do that to like make me care about these other timelines and care what happens to them you know and not just be all, all wrapped up in the sacred timeline or whatever so we'll see i mean these last two episodes have got a lot to do yeah they do and i have no oh and you brought it up uh scotty brought it back to it but like the the um this trailer i have not seen this trailer very deliberately but just scrolling youtube today i kept seeing like the thumbnails for shows that had like pictures from like the thumbnails for people like screen rant or uh, screen crush, sorry, screen crush and new rock stars and stuff. All these mm-hmm. like s- thumbnails are spoiling me, just like scrolling YouTube. I'm like, I don't want to know what's going on in this trailer. It's it's really terrible that you're showing me what's in this trailer because I don't want to know at all. Um, right. And I've already I already kind of have seen some stuff. I'm really glad we recorded this week before I saw any of that stuff because like a lot of our a lot of my theories. I'm like looking at them. I'm like, I don't know about that theory now because I saw that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Lots more stories to talk about. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Multiverse News. And uh, we're going to get on to our next story. The internet might truly melt down with the announcement that Henry Cavill is set to play the legendary sword-wielding Scott in the Lionsgate Highlander reboot. John Wick director Chad Stahelski will be the man behind the camera for the film, and Mike Finch has penned the current screenplay draft. Though just off his final season of The Witcher, Cavill has been working at a breakneck pace with Argyle and two Guy Ritchie projects currently in post-production. Will this new version of Highlander be what fans are looking for, or can there be only one? Oh, well, apparently not, given the fact that this film from the 80s has had, you know, a number of sequels, a TV series, and now this reboot. Apparently there can't be only one, but that's okay (laughs) because uh, while I'm not like a diehard Highlander fan, it is one of those fandoms and franchises that I find very interesting. It's just like how often do you stumble across a franchise that's about immortal Scotsmen that battle throughout history? I I think this is the only one I can name, but uh, it's it's nice to see Henry Cavill kind of land on his feet here with Argyle in the works. It looks like he's teaming up with Guy Ritchie 
Ritchie for. Um, one of the projects I could find here was the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which looks like it's an adaptation of a 2014 book, Churchill Secret Warriors, the explosive true story of the Special Forces Desperados of World War II. So um, seems like he's working with, you know, top tier talent behind the camera and his involvement here, um, coming off The Witcher, I didn't really watch The Witcher. I played the game and was a big fan of the games. Tried to check out the first season, but um, you know, without getting too deep into things, the casting of certain characters just didn't really jive with me too well, being so familiar with those characters from the game. And lastly, to address the involvement of director Chad Stahelski here, I, I, it's, it's nice to see that I think he's proven himself that he's not a one-trick pony here after directing Deadpool 2 in addition to the Number of John Wick sequels here. I think he's he's really proven himself uh, to be a capable helm helmer when it comes to to mm-hmm. action and uh, to see him maybe you know embrace a little more sword play rather than gun gun fu as they call it. Uh, I think will uh, just make him an even stronger filmmaker. So this one's one to look forward to, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's good for Henry Cavill to see him getting some work. I mean, we know that he's kind of had a rough, <laughs> rough year or so with uh, with his big roles, with this whole Superman debacle of uh, sort of in a way. I mean, it seems like being promised that he would return to the role in some capacity, and then that being yanked out from under him, uh, having the whole Witcher thing following that, so leaving the Witcher seemingly because of that, and then have being replaced in the Witcher and not being able to come back to that franchise. Like that's tough. Mm-hmm. Like Henry Cavill. Um, I think he's a great actor. I think he's a, seems to be from what I've seen of him, like a likable person, like a good face in Hollywood. So like, um, I'm happy to see him getting some work and this seems like a role that really suits him and plays to his strengths. So I think if you're a fan of the series, to me, that seems like a really slam dunk casting. I actually kind of have issue with the casting <laughs> and I mean, who doesn't love Henry Cavill, but if the whole thing is that this is a Scotsman who's like the main character, the Highlander, kind of a big Scottish thing. Right. Could they not have found a Scottish actor? Like, I know Sam Hewen is already doing the time-traveling <laughs> Scotsman thing in Outlander. <laughs> and yeah. maybe Lionsgate was like, oh, it's got a cult following, so let's do our own, you know, let's go back to our thing that does that. But I don't know, it feels a little, eh. um, But I've never seen the Highlander stuff, so maybe it's okay. I don't it's, know. It's actually interesting that you bring up kind of the miscasting there because the original film from the 80s famously cast Sean Connery, a Scotsman, yeah. as like he was supposed to be like Portuguese or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've got a Scottish guy with Scottish characters and you cast him as a, as a Spaniard or something like that. <laughs> so we're just repeating that pass. All right. We see what you're doing, Highlander. Yeah. The, uh, the franchise knows its roots. It's an homage. <laughs> All right, Universal and Blumhouse's Five Nights at Freddy's opened to a record-smashing $78 million domestically and $131 million worldwide, despite debuting simultaneously on sister streaming service Peacock. This is the biggest horror opening of 2023 to date, besting Scream 6. It is also the second biggest opening of all time for a video game adaptation behind the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting opening weekend for this movie. Uh, This is not a franchise that I'm super familiar with. I know the gist, but it's a little bit behind my time. I believe this came out right around... 
a few years ago, a handful of years ago, whenever uh, kids were getting into it, probably whenever they were in like late middle school, early high school. And now those kids have grown up to be like later high school or mid high school. And from what I understand about this movie, it was really targeting that audience. It was targeting people who were fans. So this wasn't a true slasher gore type horror movie. I mean, it's rated PG-13. It was trying to get loads of kids who grew up with this thing, grew up with the franchise, followed it on the internet, got into it and all that. It's trying to capture those groups of kids going to the movies. And clearly it worked because this is a really big box office uh, haul for one weekend of this movie. A lot of the the kindest of projections were putting it around like 40, 50, and it's going to basically double that while also being simultaneously streamed on Peacock, which is huge. So to me, there's a couple things that are going to happen here. One uh, is that it's going to get a sequel. It's going to get a series like that will happen. Uh, this will be an IP that continues. Uh, two is that we're going to see this wider conversation about video game adaptations happening at the box office and on streaming. I mean, we've seen some successful properties from that over the past couple years. Uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, like you mentioned, uh, The Last of Us on HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. These are these are incredibly successful properties that have gotten and Hollywood's finally figured it out. You get the original creatives involved. Like that was the missing piece. Like get them involved and let them uh, be involved in how the thing is made, which has always doomed a lot of these projects and they haven't really turned out very well and not been well received by, it's like you get it from both sides. Like people on one side don't want to see it because they're like, well, I never played the game. I'm not interested in that. And the people who play the game are like, well, I'm not interested because it's not true to the vision and you just lose everybody. And the whole thing sort of implodes. Uh, What this also ensures though, is that Hollywood will inevitably do what Hollywood does, which is take something that's successful and then just run it into the ground. So like uh, comic book movies, for example, kind of being run into the ground. We're going to see the same thing with video game <laughs> adaptations. And hey, it'll be fun for a little bit. But uh, once you start seeing, uh, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's 5 and Super Mario Brothers 7 and, uh, you know, all this stuff, like maybe we'll look around and be like, maybe it's a little bit too much, but uh, I think uh, this will video game adaptation (laughs) fatigue, a real thing. (laughs) Just, yeah. Check in on that headline in about eight, nine years. And you have (laughs) guarantee that you'll see it because uh, Hollywood, once they get that money smell, they're they're like, well, clearly everybody wants 10 of these and they go out Mm -hmm. and they just make as many as possible. I bet you right now, executives are are calling up people being like, Hey, what video game uh, properties do we currently have the IPs for? (laughs) Like, what can we make Mm -hmm. right now? And what's available that we can buy? Like, I guarantee those conversations are happening after seeing Putting money on the table right now, there's an Among Us adaptation. (laughs) Of course there is. Of course there is. I don't know for a fact, but there has to be. The rights have been sold somewhere. Surely, surely, surely. Um, Yeah. FNAF is uh, Fun Nights at Freddy's is a <laughs> sorry I hear people call it FNAF all the time and I said that you, in the please we you do you I, I, just, I love it <laughs> and Jay Scotty laughed uh, but it's it, yeah Five Nights at Freddy's the ki- it's what the kids are calling it uh, Jay Scotty I'm sorry that okay. you're not hip like me I'm, I am not um, not at all <laughs> Jay, if you hear your kids say FNAF, that's what they mean um, <laughs> in your in your classes. Uh, but no, I. Uh, uh, my niece, uh, who, I, who I adopted a few months ago, she went to her first uh, movie alone with her friends. Like you know, she's always gone with a parent, and uh, for her birthday, I let her like I dropped her and her friends off at the movies, and they went to see this. And it's just kind of interesting, like this this was for them. And the thing is, none of them have played the game. I actually had the same experience. I've never played the game, but I 
watched a lot of streamers play the game. And so kids, even if they haven't seen the game, they've seen their favorite live streamers play the game because it's a it's a jump scare game. It's full of jump scares. So a lot of live streamers play it on stream and like react real big. And so they, there's all these really funny live streamers talking about this game. And so even kids who haven't played the game series, which is a small game series, but it has nine sequels already. So like if they want to sequelize this, they've got the content to pull from, um, or I'm sorry, eight sequels. There's nine total games. Um, but yeah, I think this game, uh, or this, this, this series will definitely continue after this. It had a $20 million budget. It's already like blown past that with 131 million globally. Like it made money and, that's the thing. They made this movie for a certain audience. It's very rare these days to make a $20 million movie and like to make the movie target it at its audience and just make it for that audience. It's like, and then it, 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 it you know, made four times its budget, probably, you know, more than that. Oh. I was, I was sitting here trying to like account for marketing and stuff, but whatever <laughs> it made, it made its money back for sure. Yeah, I think the big story here is that it's like the biggest opening weekend for Blumhouse ever, which is a win they really needed coming really? off the heels of, uh, yeah, their, their $400 million dollar investment towards Exorcist Believer earlier this October. Mm. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's like quickly encroaching on Venom for being the highest opening for like either the later part of October or the entire month of October. I, I don't know for sure, but I myself, I did not see FNAF in theaters this weekend. Um, it had some stiff competition as far as I'm concerned in my market. There were some uh, awards contenders that opened opened in my area. I got to see Anatomy of a Fall and uh, The Holdovers. So uh, once uh, maybe one or two of my co-hosts have seen that, maybe you'll get another multiverse review. But uh, I do think the, um, the interesting thing here is the simultaneous release with Peacock, and it's still performing this well. And uh, I'll take a quick aside here to say that I went down the most shallow of rabbit holes. And by that, I mean I, I perused a one Reddit thread. But I wanted to know, like, they, they refer to the simultaneous release as day and date. And what does that mean? And I, I can't find out what exactly that means. Why do they call it day and date? And I, my internet research has not yielded any results. So if you're listening and you have some insight, maybe you're in the film industry, if you know what day and date means, please provide us some feedback because I would love to know. Uh, like, I, I know what it means. I just don't know why it says it twice. Like, that's weird. Yeah, you're right. It's like day and date are the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I consider that myself a fairly intelligent person. I can use context clues, but this one's just got me scratching my head. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, but yeah, Five Nights at Freddy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to get sequels. Matthew Lillard, I think he said he signed his three-picture deal when he first signed on. So the critical mm. reception to this one wasn't, you know, uh, really motivating me to check it out. But I don't have Peacock either, but uh, maybe maybe I'll uh, be encouraged <laughs> to go check it out just because it's doing so well. That's what I was uh, – when I heard that it was a day-and-date release like this, I was like, wow, a day-and-date release, and it did this well. And then yeah. I heard it was Peacock, and I was like, no one has Peacock. Right. Um, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> of course. It was, that's not even really competition at that point. Um, sorry. I'm just teasing. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back with our Spotify poll and lightning round right after this. Welcome back to Multiverse News. Uh, we got our Spotify poll for the week, which uh, was, what is your best or funniest casting idea for a recast of the original Star Wars trilogy? Um, and it's interesting, like, 
I don't know. I think this idea is interesting because a lot of people think that's silly, but also like there's the idea of just recasting the characters, even if you don't redo the whole trilogy. So like some of these are really good and some of them are really silly, which is what we asked for. <laughs> I think they skewed more towards the silly, but we got some, we got some <laughs> I don't know. We got a few good ones. Yeah. yeah. I really like Mark Hamill as Obi-Wan. Like that's just, uh, it, it's because Mark Hamill has taken on such a different property to me as he's aged that like his like joker and like uh just being a cool dude i i just like it almost like didn't hit me for a second like the, that why that was funny <laughs> i was like i would rather huh, interesting as, uh, it's too, cl- it's too close evil so well oh yeah, him as palpatine like is good that's good that's good Haley. um I know, right <laughs> Bill Murray as everyone, which I really appreciated. That's a uh, <laughs> MCU cast reference. Appreciate you, Ecot. Says that. Um, uh, Ominous Boop says Jim Carrey as Darth Vader, Owen Wilson as Obi Wan, and Jack Black as Emperor Palpatine. Oh God, we've already got Jack Black in there, though. This is the darkest <laughs> timeline. Yeah, that that is that is the darkest <laughs> timeline. That is a uh, really that sounds like a fun parody, like a like a I could see a remake of um, Spaceballs, including those guys. <laughs> um, we we were just joking about Owen, on MCU cast today. We were joking about Owen Wilson playing Ultron. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember how we got there, but it was fun. Just imagining all the robots at the same time going, "Wow, <laughs> wow, 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 wow." Um, Josh Hutcherson as Luke. I could see that. Uh, PETA from The Hunger Games. Uh, Tom Cruise as... This is Ha who said this. Tom Cruise as Han Han Solo. (laughs) A really intense one that runs all the time. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. He's not... I cannot see him being relaxed and as swaggery as Harrison Ford in any universe. Like, there's no timeline where he's as relaxed as... Unsolo should be. Uh, Haley Atwell as Leia. Now I'm down with that. And Leonardo DiCaprio as Obi Wan. Mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know about that one, Chief. <laughs> it's, you sure about that? <laughs> it's really hard to imagine, but like maybe, maybe he's getting he's getting an age where maybe I don't know. In uh, Kindle says this one's fun. Uh, Luke is Charlie Day. <laughs> Leia is Caitlin Olsen. Job of the Hutt is Danny DeVito. Rob Aww. and Glenn probably argue about who is going to play Han. <laughs> and, Poor Danny. <laughs> yeah. And who is going to be Lando. They end up switching halfway through, which is a all of an uh, It's Always Sunny uh, reference. And then, um, let's see, Bookworm Guy says Taron Edgerton as Luke. We all think. Seems like he I sort see. of gets typecast for yeah. like every young male franchise yeah. lead. Everyone's like, "Why not Taron Egerton?" Like well, they're like, uh, just he's, he's my first choice for Wolverine. I will say. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. I think he rings true of a young Hugh Jackman. He's a little shorter, a little stockier. Mm-hmm. I can see it. He's he's due for a, you know the lead in a franchise. Bookworm guy continues. Daisy Ridley as Leia. All right, that seems like a troll cast. And then Chris <laughs> Pratt as Han. It's just Star Lord. Like he would just be doing the Star Lord thing. Yeah, but just exactly. It would just be like 
in a different skin. You know what I mean? Like it's Which, just the same. It'd be the tra- same thing. <laughs> Travis TL also said Chris Pratt is Han Solo, but Tom Holland is Luke. Um, it's yeah. weird. It's weird. Is Han supposed to be that much older than Luke? Like I always imagine them being contemporaries, but I guess like he's a little older. Like he's, no, he's, he's definitely older yeah. than Luke. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Luke is only supposed to be like 19 and a new hope, right? So. <laughs> right. I don't think the ages are like super ironed out <laughs> either. Giving, like, early I bet 30s. they are. I bet they are <laughs> Like now. the Luke like ages, if you think about it for a little bit, you're like, oh, wait, he's like a kid here and he's like older here and it's like doesn't fully match up. And obviously the Obi-Wan stuff, like going from Ewan McGregor, like to like to, it just did the hey, short amount of time. Like, man, he aged sons. a lot. <laughs> yeah, take a toll. Yeah. It's true. True. So, yeah, we can't Jay. we can't think about it too much. <laughs> It'll make it's your brain the hurt. Skin cancer, Jay. Uh, Andy Samberg is Anakin. <laughs> I just hate sand. Just, I can see it. I can see it. Um, this and then we got Sonny Tetris said Andy. Uh, I should say uh, that was Terza Kelm. And then Sonny Tetris says Andy Samberg as Luke. Uh, Yorma to Cone as Han, Akiva Schaefer as Chewie, Ellie Kemper as Leia, and it's titled Star Wars The Lonely I- Loneliest Island. <laughs> Is Ellie Kemper in Lonely Island in some? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think, I don't so. think so either. But that's fun. I didn't know if she'd like done a song with them or something. Um, Jay Scotty St. Clair Who said William <laughs> Fitchner. As Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, and and he says you may not recognize him by name, but you've seen him uh, in countless films as a character actor. And I looked him up, and you're he totally favors Tarkin. Like I could totally see that. If that's one of those that like I kind of wish they would do recasts instead of the weird Uncanny Valley stuff they do. Sure, sure. And for those <laughs> of you listening that may not recognize William Fitcher off the top of your head, if you've seen The Dark Knight Rises anytime recently, he is the bank teller that kind of takes a stand against uh the joker uh actually uh, i said the dark knight rises but i meant the dark knight uh yes the the joker yes correct yeah that's a deep cut <laughs> it's a very deep cut but i know exactly who you're talking about like it immediately i was I like that guy <laughs> do you have any idea who you're robin <laughs> it's a weirdly memorable role it really is robin? um i could see it uh, robin adam Sorrell says sebastian stan as luke Idris Elba as Han, I think he meant. Uh, he said Jan. I think that was an autocorrect. Uh, I don't know if this is Jan and Star Wars. I do like Wars. Sebastian Stan as Luke. I, I do guarantee too. if I, ever, if I go over to Wikipedia right now and put the word Jan is in, that there is a character called Jan somewhere in Star Wars. Oh, I mean, these, for these, sure. The lore oh, is yeah. just too deep at this point. For Jan, sure, for like sure. Jan from The Office, or Jan, like <laughs> you put it on your toast? Jan, like Jan from The Office. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Idris Elba as Han. Uh, I like that. It's not that, bad. That's good. It's really good. He's he, he's got the swagger. Uh, Zendaya as Leia. That shouldn't rhyme though. Got to make that <laughs> not rhyme, and then I'd be okay with it. Um, Anthony Hopkins as Obi Wan. Uh, mm. Okay, they did a best and funny, and then funny Chris Platt as Luke. Ryan Reynolds as Han. Chris Jennifer Platt. Lawrence. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. <laughs> Chris Platt. Chris Pratt as Luke. Ryan Reynolds as Han. Jennifer Lawrence as Leia. And Jack Black as Obi-Wan. We got, I think this is the second Jack Black. The other it was is. Jack Black as the Emperor or something? I don't, yes, I don't remember. correct. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm, Rachel 
uh, Lettuce, Lettuce Mo says, Andrew Garfield as Anakin Skywalker. Would love to see him play Jedi and Darkseid. I actually kind of think that fits. Like, it, he weirdly favors Hayden Christensen a little bit. I agree. Yeah. It's weird. Never thought of it, but kind of works. Okay. Well, that's our Spotify poll for the week. I thank you guys for all your creativity. Um, up next, we got our lightning round. You know how this works. We are going to... Uh, I'm going to say a story, and then everyone will have the opportunity to claim that story by buzzing in with their name, and then only uh, only they will get to comment on the story, except for one rebuttal per round for each player in the game. Four players entering the entering the whatever dome. I'm terrible at making up. Do stuff. I win something somehow? No. Yeah, you round? do. I'm buzzing in every time then. We'll find out when Aquaman comes out if you win or not, Jay. Yeah. Don't think that's been forgotten either. Oh, no. I've got it pinned up on my board. I'm feeling more confident about it every day. (laughs) Okay. Our first story in the lightning round is the upcoming three Doctor Who specials, which will feature the return of David Tennant as the Doctor and Catherine Tate as Donna Temple noble roll out over three weeks beginning november 25th two days after the actual 60th anniversary of doctor who's first ever episode the specials will stream on disney plus worldwide with the exception of the uk and ireland where they'll will air on the bbc disney plus has also released a new trailer for the specials matt uh yeah uh, it's exciting. I watched the new trailer and I felt like I'd already seen all that footage. Like I don't, it didn't seem like anything new was there. It just seemed recut. So that's good. They're not, they're not telling me more than I want to know. Uh, I am excited. I'm excited about this. And I did not know it was so soon. November, it's only a few weeks away. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Super cool. Up next, a New York judge has ruled that actor Jonathan Majors must face trial on domestic abuse charges beginning on November 29th. It was also revealed that the defense has filed a new motion under seal that seeks to keep details related to the undisclosed evidence to an undisclosed evidentiary matter shielded from public view. Jay, um, obviously this is not, we're obviously we're not lawyers, right? So we can't uh, necessarily get into the ins and outs of the Jonathan Majors trial. Uh, Honestly, it's just one of those things that it's going to have to play itself out in court. And now it really will have to play itself out in court because uh, what just happened was we were uh, waiting to hear if the case was going to be dismissed or not. Uh, Jonathan Majors filed counter charges against the accuser, which probably wasn't a very good legal move and uh now it's it's going to happen it's going to be a trial so i think if you're we're going to talk about a, a movie of his that got dropped from the disney slate uh here in a minute and obviously there's big implications here if you're a marvel fan going forward uh and uh, this is a bound to be a very public case so it's going to have to be one that we follow mm. true true apple tv plus is upping its price from the previous Monthly fee of six ninety nine to a now standard rate of nine ninety nine. Haley, boo! <laughs> <laughs> Apple's been laying in the weeds the whole time. They're like, they they think we're the cheapest streaming service. <laughs> Got them. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we knew this was gonna go up eventually. Oh, for sure. And yeah. I I think there's some of the highest quality content. I, I I've said it a lot. Like I think that Netflix used to have this like. This is my rebuttal, I guess. Uh, it used to have this sheen over it where it was like, 
Netflix original content is going to be great. You know, like every, and eventually it just got so watered down that Netflix means nothing anymore as far as quality goes. Um, it seems like they could have done something like had like Netflix, like, like premium originals or something like had like a, like a offshoot, something they called premium or something that like made us think that, but like they didn't do that. And now they just have sullied their names with tons of uh, reality TV shows and stuff. Uh, I still feel when I hear an Apple plus series, I'm like, that's going to be good. Like it may not be my style. It may not be my thing, but it's going to be good. And so I'm, I'm willing to pay a little more. Honestly, this doesn't seem so bad to me. I've been shocked. I've gotten it this cheap this long. (laughs) Up next director, David Yates has given an update on the fantastic beasts, Harry Potter spinoff franchise, which halted after three of the five planned films were released quote with Beasts, for a minute, it's all just part, Yates told the Inside Total Film podcast. We got to the end of the third film, and we're all so proud of that movie, and when it went out into the world, we just needed to sort of stop and pause and take it easy. Scotty, I think this was kind of a given. I thought it was really bold of them to come out of the gate saying that they were going to do five movies and really felt like putting the cart before the horse. And sure enough, um, I saw the first fantastic beast movie and, you know, to all my, you know, Potterheads and fans of the wizarding world, if you like the fantastic beast movies, I feel for you. Hopefully they came to a satisfying conclusion by the end of the third film, but I wouldn't know because after the first film, I lost all interest whatsoever. It was just the the biggest sin it had to me was being boring. And then it seemed like critically crimes of Grindelwald, was was even more poorly received, and then uh, the final one, what was it? The Secrets of Dumbledore was even even fared even worse. So, um, I I also look at you know the big picture when it comes to the Wizarding World. Obviously, they're going to focus their efforts on this TV series that's in the works. Hogwarts Legacy just came out. That was the video game that was uh, did very very well. So J.K. Rowling's not the most popular person right now. And she was uh, attached as a screenwriter to all these Fantastic Beast movies. And she doesn't have any experience screenwriting before. She basically went from books to screenwriting and just kind of used her clout to to work herself mm-hmm. in there. So I'm hopeful that, you know, Warner Brothers can kind of readjust and see a way to push the franchise forward. Maybe, uh, you know, supervising her involvement a little bit more. Mm, indeed. Up next, last week... Uh, Disney announced it is delaying the release of its live-action Snow White movie starring Rachel Ziegler by a year to March of 2025 and released first image, uh, a first image of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Pixar's Elio uh, has also been pushed back by more than a year to June of 2025. Disney and Searchlight have also removed Magazine Dreams starring Jonathan Majors from the December 2023 calendar, most likely due to Majors' legal situation, which we mentioned earlier. Haley, um, I just really feel like this is Bob Iger going, what in the world are you guys doing? <laughs> and just like pumping the brakes on so many projects that they had. And they're all probably, they all have different issues. Um, The Pixar movie, Elio, like, I think I've seen a graphic for it, but we've talked in the past about Pixar struggling. And so I think this is him pumping the brakes on that and maybe working with them to reset what they're doing. Um, 
the Jonathan Majors thing speaks for itself. And then when you get to the Snow White stuff, it just is things on top of things that are not going well with that movie. Rachel Zegler has made some really immature sounding comments in the media. Um, she she's not she's gotten just raked over the coals for that stuff. Um, and then they initially had the seven dwarves. People made jokes about it that it was like the seven little woke men or something like that because it was like every one of them was a different ethnicity and stuff. And now they've put this picture out and they're all CGI. And <laughs> we got to talk and about all, the picture. <laughs> and they're all like just CGI like little white dwarves. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so there, there is a struggle going on. First of all, let's just kill the live action remakes, Bob, if we're being completely honest. <laughs> Nobody wants them. Nobody is asking for them. They're really, I think Little Mermaid maybe did the best. I don't know. Still haven't watched it. Um, mm. Woof. Woof. Disney. The, the picture's bad. The picture's, the picture's bad. terrible. <laughs> like, the CGI's bad. So and you bad. can't tell, like, which dwarf is which dwarf, which is something people that are a fan of this care about. They're like, oh, which I one's mean, I dopey? I think you can identify dopey. Which, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. But, like, why can't, why, like, why can't they just hire little people to play these roles? Like, why are they CGI-ing these seven oh, dwarves? Because it looks bad. It's going to look bad on screen. Like, if they, if they haven't mm-hmm. already rethought this, they need to rethink this. Because it... Uh, I mean, you've you've hired a real person to play every role except those. But why? Well, you did hire them, and then you aren't <laughs> using them, which is an even worse look. <laughs> yeah, it's like pendulum swing. It's like, well, we heard your criticism. We we don't want to, you know, diversify the dwarves, so we're going to CGI all of them oh my and gosh. essentially oh. copy paste the same model seven times, and then little minor changes or whatever. And yeah, it's. Man, like people, are, I mean, they punted this movie. Like they put it back more than a year, and this thing is they're they're gonna they're gonna re, they're gonna redo a bunch of it. Like that's the only oh, reason yeah. you would do this. That's the only reason you would kick it that far is because you looked at it and you watched it and you were like, "Holy crap, we got to do some stuff over on this again." But yeah, it's bad. I don't think people are gonna forget about it either. Like I think no. it's gonna roll around twenty twenty five, and people are gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that thing we hate. Let's get it. <laughs> you know, burn it down again." <laughs> They, like, really staked their claim on these live-action remakes of the Disney classics. And it's like, is this the hill you want to die on? And clearly, Bob Iger does not. Because he's like, how about 2025? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you guys will find something else to be mad at by then, and we can just sneak this out to the theaters. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. Yeah, this one's a juicy one. We kind of talked off air whether or not this could be a feature story or not. It kind of feels like maybe it should have been. But, yeah, I I think the Snow White images are the big story here. We are trudging into the depths of the uncanny valley there. And uh, (laughs) hopefully (laughs) with it being pushed to 2025, they have time to receive this feedback and maybe make some corrections because it is rough right now. But the other piece I want to speak to and uh, not to, you know, um, read between the lines too much or, you know, pull something that's not there. But with the Jonathan Majors release magazine Dreams being completely released from the schedule and his trial, you know, being uh, coming up here, I think maybe it can give you some context as to how's this looking because that movie around this time last year was getting the strongest buzz. Like people were really, really excited for magazine Dreams and and Jonathan Majors in magazine Dreams. So um, the fact that that's being shelved and he's not even going to be in the conversation come awards season, I think gives a little bit of insight into the temperature of the situation, for lack of a better term. And I and I could be off base there, but that's my extrapolation. Yeah, it seems that seems like a very fair extrapolation. Well, thank you. 
<laughs> Netflix has announced a new adult animation limited series, Carol and the End of the World, which stars Martha Kelly as the woman facing the apocalypse. The series was created by Rick and Morty and community writer Dan Guterman. Scotty, I guess I'll say I feel like I should have something to say about this one, but I, I don't really. Uh, you know, Dan Gutterman has obviously done solid work on Rick and Morty. So uh, I, you know, as a fan of animation, hopefully this one does something in its marketing to stand out and tell me, hey, I should go back to Netflix and really check this one out. But it hasn't done that for me yet. So take notes, mm-hmm. marketing team, and, and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just attaching Rick and Morty's names, not doing it for me yet. Not yet. Or Dan Guterman, who I can't. I can't play. I like I like Community and, and Rick and Morty. I just don't know, like what he's done on those shows. He's not like a standout name from those shows. If it was right. like Dan Harm. I saw Dan. I was reading the story for the first time, and I saw Dan. And I was like, oh, oh you no, see Dan, not the Dan and I know. Man. It's like oh, that yeah. little section they they just threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Amazon MGM Studios will begin developing a television show based on the international best-selling book Fourth Wing. The streaming and retail giant is sinking its teeth into high fantasy lately with the rights to Rebecca Yarrow's first book in the Empyrean series, joining Rings of Power and the Wheel of Time as major projects for the studio. Amazon is bringing Michael B. Jordan's production Outlier Society along for the ride. Yarrow's second book, Iron Flame, comes out next week, and the rumor is each book will get a season of television. Are you ready to ride or die? For Fourth Wing here in the lightning round. This is the book that you couldn't get. You couldn't buy it on Amazon for a period of time this year. What kind of book does that? There, I read this book because it was all over Instagram. It was all over BookTok. It was all over Goodreads, and I read it in less than two days. It is the biggest freaking book of the year, and Iron Flame is going to be huge, too. Um, if you don't know what Fourth Wing is, I, it's a high fantasy book. It's dragons. I kind of call it Harry Potter meets... Uh, Game of Thrones with a lot more death and sex. So, you know, take that for what you will. It's really good. Um, This is super exciting, but it will be scrutinized to the nth degree by the people who love this book. So hopefully, like Michael B. Jordan, he really likes to, um, you know, he likes anime and he's like really into this kind of stuff. And so hopefully his production company being part of it. And I think Rebecca Yaros is an executive producer on it. She's the author means they're going to cast the right people because it's going to it's going to make a difference and it's going to make it or break it and amazon doesn't seem to want to mess around too much people generally have liked the adaptations they've done of this kind of thing so i'm excited for it but i'm cautious sweet Matthew Perry, best known for his role as chandler bing on friends has tragically passed away at the age of 54 Jay, I don't know about you guys, but I was uh, not emotionally prepared for a cast member of Friends to pass away. Uh, I do think that it's important that we mention that Matthew Perry, uh, who is someone who has struggled with uh, addiction throughout his life, did a lot in his lifetime 
to help people who had similar struggles. And he oftentimes mentioned that that is how he wanted to be remembered, that he opened a, a home for people who were getting sober, that he uh, did counseling with a lot of people across his life mm-hmm. to try to take his struggles and try to make something positive of it to help other people who are going through the same struggle. So I think it's important to mention that. Um, but obviously the outpouring of love has been huge. I mean, this was a guy who was beloved by people that he worked with over the years. So uh, definitely hits a lot of us close to home, I'm sure, growing up in an age where friends was what it was. But, um, you know, definitely uh, gone too soon. Mm, indeed. Well said, his loss looms large. For sure. Negotiations between SAG-AFTRA and representatives from major Hollywood studios concluded after a weekend of talks Sunday with a renewed sense of optimism. Though no deal has yet been reached, both sides have described the talks as productive and plan to meet again this week after working independently on Monday. A representative from a major studio told Deadline that talks were in the final stretch. Matt, great. Let's hope that's the case. Let's hope it's let's hope, let's hope thing they're they're coming to good terms. It'll be great for everybody, and that uh, we'll finally start seeing some uh, some movement on all these projects that we talk about every week. I'd love to have the shackles taken off everybody and be able to talk about all their future projects. Yeah, I think we're probably a week or two away. Just this type of language, they they've not been this glowing with language in the past. So mm. I think we're we're getting really close. If it's not yeah. next week, it's probably the next week. Yeah, but I remember like three weeks ago they said they I, that's true. so optimistic, that, yep, that's and true. then it was like leave the table. <laughs> Up next, David Robert Mitchell and Micah Monroe are reuniting for They Follow, a sequel to the 2014 cult horror hit It Follows. Neon, the Oscar-winning studio behind Parasite, will co-produce the movie. Scotty, extremely excited for this one. It Follows was, exactly as this describes, a cult hit, uh, did a lot to kind of revitalize the slasher kind of genre or like, you know, monster that kind of stalks you and takes you know victims out one at a time that whole concept there and micah monroe you know she was kind of emerging as this scream queen with it follows and she was also in one called the guest uh that i really enjoy so the fact that she's going to get another uh, attempt to reclaim her title as a scream queen and this is coming from neon who uh, is one of my favorite studios working today they actually put out um anatomy of a fall which i mentioned i saw over this weekend as well uh, you know, this all is is a yes for me. I don't hear anything that I I don't like. Awesome, awesome. AMC Networks has grabbed U.S. and Canadian streaming rights to Nautilus, a reimagining of Jules Verne's classic novel Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. The series was initially set for Disney Plus, but was sold off as part of a content write down. The series will release in twenty twenty four. Jay, I mean, I think it's always good to see some of these merge purge uh, properties get picked up by somebody because there's somebody <laughs> out there that got invested and uh, got invested in the idea and shot it and filmed it and made it. And uh, uh, it's important to get out there. So we mentioned uh, like the Spiderwick Chronicles as an example, but um, AMC Plus is a little bit bigger of a market, I would think. So uh, kind of a kind of a good thing, I think, ultimately to uh, to see some of these get picked up and put out into the world. Absolutely. Invincible Season 3 is already in the works at Amazon before Season 2 even premieres. Scotty, hell yeah, bring it on. 
Season 2 is just a couple of days away here on November 3rd, and the early reviews that I'm seeing for the first half of the season seem to be pretty positive. So the first season was a runaway hit. So yeah, it's exciting to know that they've got a long plan set out here. Bring on more Invincible. I'm excited. It's awesome. Yeah, the first season's great. Can't wait to see more. Uh, Well... That is all of our news for our lightning round, and therefore all the news for the show. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Multiverse News, and thank you to everybody who did five star reviews and joined our Patreon. Uh, we are at Patreon.com/slash Multiverse Newscast. If you would like to support the show, we put a ton of work into it every week, um, and uh, really, really love bringing it to you guys. Um, it's just, it's really, really fun show to make. So thank you guys for supporting it. Um, everybody who participated in the contest, will be getting you guys those winners on next week's episode. Um, and, uh, we'll be back soon. Let's see you go around and tell everybody where you, where they can find you online. Jay Sisson, what's going on, bud? Yeah. You can find me at commute the podcast where me and my co-host Dave cover, uh, three interesting topics in 20 minutes or less. Uh, we took last week off. Uh, we did not have a new episode this week, but, uh, but most of our episodes still hold up. So you can go back and check out a couple if you've never listened to us, uh, before and, uh, learn something new on your way to work. So commute the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. It's very smart to have evergreen content. Unlike this show, this show is the least yeah, evergreen. If you, show. if you miss it this week, like I mean, it's, it's fine. Just get next week. <laughs> jump back in the next one. Unless you're listening to this in the year three thousand, and this is your source of our history. Yeah, the source of our history. The history books will be written because our only our podcast will survive. Um, Haley Hobbs, where can they find you? Please check out Source Pages. We're starting our coverage for the Marvels. So this week we dropped an episode about Monica Rambeau and covered some awesome comics. And yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Jay, Scotty, St. Clair, uh, where can they find you? Please check me out over on Animation Deliberation. That's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. Uh, just in time for Halloween, we got to cover Over the Garden Wall. And as mentioned beforehand... Invincible Season 2 is just around the corner, so we are gearing up for coverage of that. Tune in. Awesome. And uh, for me, check out the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I had one of my favorite episodes we've recorded in a while. Uh, Just like I am loving Loki, and I'm having a great time talking about it. And so over over there, we did a two almost two-and-a-half-hour-long episode where we just really got geeky with it and talked about everybody's feedback um, that had written in, and it was just a lot of fun. So... Check out Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast if you're enjoying Loki as much as I am, because I'm loving talking about the weird time travel, time loop theories and everything. So please come join. Um, And we'll be back soon. Peace. You stay classy, multiverse.